You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning, Highland. How we doing? All right. Well, it's great to be here with you. My name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries in College Station. I was the director of Vertical Ministries here in Waco for four years. So it's always great to get to be back in Waco, and I'm honored to get to be here with you this morning. I'll just say this before I get going. Um, Because of my time here in Waco, from time to time I will get asked by uh, other people just how things are going in Waco, how things are going at Baylor. And and I just want to tell you what I tell those people. I tell them, uh, I personally believe there's never been a better time to be in Waco or to be at Baylor University. And it's because God truly is doing something special in this city and at Baylor. And anytime I talk to people about what is going on uh, in Waco, I, I talk about your pastor, John Durham. And I talk about how God is using him as one of the people, one of the leaders in this city to bring about great transformation. So John, thanks so much for having me this morning. It's a privilege to get to be here with you. Yeah, that might be a good opportunity just for you to say thank you to your pastor. It's awesome. Uh, I want to start out this morning just by simply sharing with you a very unwise decision that I made several years ago. Uh, I decided to try and drive from Austin to Dallas with my two boys who were two and a half and five months old at the time, but without my wife. And it was just a very unfortunate decision. I left Austin and we began to make our way up I-35. And for the first hour, I was crushing it as a dad, uh, primarily because my kids were asleep. But uh, about an hour into the trip, uh, I decided that it was time for us to pull over for lunch. And so we pulled off into the Chick-fil-A in Temple, Texas. And before we got out of the car, I just sat there and I thought through everything that needed to happen in order for me to get in and out with my kids without dying. And so I felt like I had a good mind about things and I got out of my car and I just looked like a circus. I mean, I had uh, my five-month-old in a car carrier in this arm. I had a diaper bag slung over my chest. I had my two-year-old in this hand. And as I walk in, you can just like see pity on the faces of the Chick-fil-A workers. I mean, they're like, my pleasure. Like, I'll take it for you today. Uh, and so we get in there, we order our food, we're sitting there, we're eating lunch, and everything is, is working out really well until in the middle of lunch, my five-month-old just destroys his diaper. I mean, the type of thing that husbands and wives like paper, rock, scissors for to figure out who is going to have to deal with that. And so that happens in the middle of lunch and it just throws a massive curveball our way. And so I'm like, I can't just let him sit there in what he's sitting in. And so I had to make the executive decision. This thing needs to get changed now. And so I gather up all of our food. I gather up all of our stuff. And I take Noah and Andrew into the bathroom and I put Andrew, my five-month-old, on the changing table. And I have Andrew, my two, uh, Noah, my two-and-a-half-year-old, stand right here at my side. And I am just ferociously wiping Andrew down on the changing table. And that's going well until he decides to use the bathroom again, different number this time. And he just floods the changing table. I mean, it is standing Not standing water, it's standing something, but he has put this changing table 
out of order. And just as he puts it out of order, I use my last wet wipe. And so here I am stranded in a moment where I am holding this bare-bottomed child in the air with nowhere to put him. Like, I can't put him on the changing table. I'm not going to put him on the ground. Like, I, there is nowhere to put him. I have no clue what to do in this moment. And as if it couldn't get any worse, I look left just in time to see Noah, my two-and-a-half-year-old, playing with the urinal cake. So that's that. So let's talk about stress. I'll tell you this, as I stood in the bathroom of Chick-fil-A in Temple, Texas, holding a bare-bottomed child, you know what I felt? I felt stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. And maybe you've never been in that situation, stranded in a moment in a bathroom of a Chick-fil-A. Some of you guys have been there, and you can come up and tell me afterward. We'll share a moment together, just like, I get you, like we're right there together. We'll have that moment. If you haven't been there, though... If you have more to do than time to do it, if the budget always feels too tight, if you don't know what you're doing after you graduate, if you don't know when you're going to land your next job or where you're going to get income from, if you or a loved one is sick, then I wouldn't be surprised if the feeling is very similar. I wouldn't be surprised if there are hundreds of people in this room who feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. I just want you to know, I think that God had me leave College Station this morning or yesterday and come to Waco to simply share this simple truth with you. Stress isn't inevitable. It's actually optional. And it's optional because of who we know. And that's Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look into the scriptures and we're going to unpack a story. And from this story, we're going to get four key truths that we need to know when dealing with stress. And I want you to understand that these four key truths will have everything to do with whether your life in the midst of, in the, midst of the busyness and the stress of life, in the midst of all that, these four key truths will determine whether your life will be chaotic or calm. It will determine whether when life, when the stuff kind of hits in your life, it will determine whether you feel pressure or you feel peace. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me just read you verses 35 through 38. It's going to kind of set the scene for us. It says this, on that day... When evening had come, he, this is talking about Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? So all eyes on me. Let's just make sure that we're on the same page here. Jesus is with his friends, the the 12 disciples. And uh, Jesus says, we're going across to the other side of the sea. What you need to know is the Sea of Galilee sits at about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills. And so uh, the right temperature combined with a gust of wind can produce what some would say are sudden and violent storms. I believe that Jesus and his friends find themselves in one of these storms. 
And it's a very interesting scenario because I want you to think about who is in the boat with Jesus, okay? The majority of his followers, not all of his followers, but the majority of them before they started following Jesus, what was their occupation? They were fishermen. So these were boat guys. These were lake guys. These were guys who made their office on the Sea of Galilee. But the interesting thing is we don't see these professional fishermen sitting there saying, you know what, we've been here a hundred times. This is the way these storms work on the Sea of Galilee. We just kind of hunker down. Here's what we do. And this thing's going to blow through and we're going to be okay. No, we find the disciples sitting there saying, this is an I think I am going to die type of storm. And as stress fills their, as, as water fills the boat, stress fills their souls. Why? Because they feel out of control. And it leads us to our first key truth that we need to know when dealing with stress. Here it is, don't miss it. At the root of stress is a lack of control. Do you realize that? Like at the root of your stress is a lack of control. What is stress? Stress is simply fear of the unknown. It's fear that comes when you cannot see how a certain situation in your life is going to play out. It's the lack of control that you feel when you can't see a positive outcome. So at the root of stress is a lack of control. So just think about what is stressing you out right now. If you have more to do than time to do it, the reason that you're stressed is because of the fear that comes from your inability to control the clock, like you can't manufacture a 30-hour workday. If you're stressed out because a loved one is sick, you're stressed because you cannot control their health. Maybe you're stressed out because you cannot control when you're going to get a job offer. You cannot control the rate at which money comes into your bank account. See, at the root of stress is a lack of control. The second key truth that you need to know when dealing with stress is this, and you're going to love hearing it. God will intentionally lead you into situations you cannot control. No one's saying amen to that. Okay, God will intentionally lead you into situations you cannot control. Isn't that incredible news this morning? Welcome to church, all right? God will lead you into situations you cannot control. Just think about whose idea it was to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was Jesus' idea. Jesus wasn't his God. Jesus knew all things. He knew that there would be a storm. And what did Jesus do? He intentionally led his friends into the storm. God will intentionally lead you into situations you cannot control. The reason I think that is because I've read the Bible. And it is story after story after story of God leading his people into situations they cannot control. Think about the nation of Israel. God leads them out of Egypt. And where does he lead them to? He leads them to a dead end at the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his army in hot pursuit. Think about Joseph. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in a fiery furnace. Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, wrinkly, and barren. God continually leads his people into situations that they cannot control. You want to know why that's a problem for us? Because we love control. In this room is full of control freaks. There's a control freak standing on the stage right now. 
We love to be in control. Some of you young people, you're budding control freaks. Give it some time. Some of you older people, you're in full bloom. And you know it. We are people that need to have every aspect of our life under control. And if that's you, let me just fill you in on what your life will constantly feel like. Like if you're a control freak, I want you to know your life will constantly feel like the feeling that you get when you're carrying a big pile of laundry. Let me just explain what I'm talking about. Some of you guys have never done your laundry yet. That's why you're going home at Thanksgiving, students. That's what it's there for, okay? But for those of us here who have done our own laundry, you put the clothes, you you move them from the washing machine to the dryer, you pack that dryer full, and when they're done, you go to that dryer, and what do you do? I mean, you scrape the inside of that dryer for every article of clothing, because people, we don't have time to make multiple trips. We don't have time to go from the dryer to the couch, dryer to the bed. We don't have time for two trips. We're getting it all now. So, man, we scrape the inside of that dryer and we wait till we sense that we have every article of clothing in our grasp. And then we begin to make the walk. And as you begin to make the walk, it's interesting because you just get this deep down sense that you should look back. (laughs) And when you look back, what do you see? Man down. Sock down. Now, people, this is where we display our brilliance. Because instead of taking what we have in our hands, dropping it off, and coming back for the sock, we develop this very noble and heroic mantra of no sock left behind. And so we back up with the laundry. And this is brilliant because we then take the pile of laundry and balance it all on one arm. I mean, laundry has fallen. Clearly, we're not doing too well, but we're like, no, we can balance it all on one arm now, freeing up an entire hand so that then we can grab the sock. And just as you get that sock, what do you see? Whitey tidies down. Shame on you for never switching to boxer briefs. But that's what happens. This will be your life if you have to be in control. Just when you think you have it all, something's going to slip. Just when you feel like your portfolio is all together, something's going to go wrong with your kids. When you feel like you have your kids under control, something at work is going to pop up. God will consistently lead you into situations that you cannot control. And I think it begs the question, if God loved us, why would he do that? Like if God is good and loving, why would he lead us into situations we cannot control? I promise I will answer that question before I'm done. The third key truth that you need to know when dealing with stress is this. You don't have to be in control because Jesus already is. You don't have to be in control because Jesus Christ already is. Watch how the story plays out. Look with me in verse 39. It says this, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love this because the disciples run to Jesus and they ask him an important question. Do you not care that we're perishing? And what does Jesus do? He gets up and he talks to the sea. He stretches out his hands and he says these words, peace be still. Now, 
Um, I don't like our English translation here because when we read those words, peace be still, our tendency will be to think of meek and mild Jesus standing up and just saying, hey, peace, peace be still. That's not the picture at all. Because the Greek that has been translated, peace be still, in the Greek, it is literally to muzzle. So you think about a barking dog putting a muzzle on a barking dog. It's the same Greek wording used in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus casts out a demon. So don't think peace be still. Think shut up. Be quiet. That's the picture here. Like when I read this, I can't help but think of this TV show that used to be on called The Dog Whisperer. Anyone ever watched The Dog Whisperer? Some of you never heard of it. Let me just fill you in on The Dog Whisperer. Fascinating show. It's about a uh, world-renowned dog trainer named Caesar Milan. And uh, like it was, it was crazy. The show would always start with like a montage of clips of like an unruly dog like barking and biting his owner and like eating an entire couch in one sitting. And so the owner would call Caesar Milan and Caesar would just walk in the door in the, the dog would be losing his ever loving mind. And Caesar would just stand there, look at the dog and go, Hey, Hey. And the dog would like stop what he was doing do the head tilt and fall over and die. It was crazy. <laughs> it was amazing. I read this and I'm like, Jesus is the sea whisperer. He just stands up, looks at the water. And he's just like, Shh, hey. <laughs> in a moment in time, the sea goes from chaotic to calm. Have you ever thought about why Jesus was able to sleep in the middle of the storm? I mean, water was filling the boat. His friends are like, this is it. I need to make a ship to shore call to somebody. And Jesus is conked out. Why? Jesus could sleep through the storm because he wasn't threatened by the storm. See, those same waters had been formed and created by God simply saying the word. Surely they could be calmed in the exact same way. So Jesus, who was God in the flesh, stood up and spoke. And the sea went from chaotic to calm. Let me just ask you, what if the great calm of the sea could become the great calm of your soul? Like, do you think that's even a possibility for you today? That no matter what has hit in your life, no matter what the storm looks like in your life, do you believe that you could walk in peace through it? The Apostle Paul shows us the way in Mark, uh, not in Mark, but in Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, great verses for you to memorize for times like you might be in right now. But listen to what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Paul is showing us the way. And what does he say? He says, do not be anxious about anything. What is this not? It's not a suggestion. Paul's not saying, hey, let me just give you some encouragement. Here's some advice that kind of is on my heart right now. Try not to be anxious. That's not what he's saying. This is a command from God through Paul to us. And what's the command? Do not be anxious about anything. So I wonder how many of us are actually walking in disobedience to the Lord right now just because we're choosing to be anxious. 
But listen to his wording. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Like, I don't know. I'm not a Greek scholar, but you know what anything in the Greek means? It means anything. Do not be anxious about anything. So I just want you to check your Bible and just see if there's an asterisk by the word anything. There's not in my Bible. And I doubt there's one in yours because the word anything, if it had an asterisk pointing to a footnote where God gives us caveats on what we can be anxious about, that doesn't exist. Paul isn't like, do not be anxious about anything, asterisk footnote, except for the times when life is really stressful. Do not be anxious about anything, asterisk footnote, except when you don't know if you're going to be able to make ends meet or except when you can't figure out what makes your kid tick. Except when you don't know what you're going to do when you graduate. Except when you have more to do than time to do it. Except during the times when you're going to have to have a really hard conversation and you have no clue how that person is going to respond. Except in the times when you can't control your health or someone else's health. There is no caveats to God's command. The command is do not be anxious about anything. But then he goes on. Here's the path towards peace. He says, but in everything... By prayer and supplication. That wording is is huge. But in everything by prayer and supplication. What Paul is saying is. If it's stressing you out. God wants to hear about it. God wants to hear about it. So let me just ask you. If you feel stressed out, overwhelmed and out of control. Have you talked to God about it? I didn't ask you. Have you talked at God about it? I'm not asking you if you have allowed God to eavesdrop on you processing through how you're going to figure out your stressful situation. I'm asking, have you invited God in to do something about it? Have you shifted the weight from your shoulders to his? It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now this feels out of place. It feels like Paul got it wrong. Like he was writing and then he screwed up the order and he was like, well, we don't have erasers yet in life, so we'll just leave it in there. It feels like he got the order wrong because what Paul is saying is stressful situation comes, you pray about it, you thank God for it, God gives you peace. That feels out of order. The right order feels like stressful situation comes. You pray. God does something about it. God gives you peace. And you say thank you. Paul's like, no, no, no. You thank God in the midst of the storm. You know why that's so important? Because when you're in the midst of the storm and you begin to thank God, you know what happens? When you thank God for what he's already done, it reminds you that he's faithful and he's capable. But I don't want to encourage you to just look back with thanksgiving. I want to encourage you to look forward. Have you ever thanked God for what he will do? He might not do what you want him to do. It might not look like blessing and prosperity to you, but God's plan for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. So it is completely okay to say, God, thank you that you have not forgotten me. You will never forsake me. You are with me always. And so I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. It might not look how I want it to look, but I know that the worst case scenario here is that I'm going to leave and come be with you. That's not a bad deal. 
So my trust is in you. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that you might have peace. It doesn't say that peace is a possibility. It says that peace is a promise. That's what we want. You want to know how to flip the switch on your stress? Let me explain it this way. Um, when I lived in Waco, I used to work from my home in my bedroom. I didn't have an office to go to. And Mondays at 9 p.m., that's when the ministry that I led happened, which meant 6 p.m. was like go time for me. It was also meltdown central in my house. So a friend of mine heard about my situation and he bought me a $200 pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones, which was amazing because diapers could be exploding, food could be flying, kids could be crying. All I had to do was put these headphones on and flip a switch and my life went from chaotic to calm. I understand that makes me sound like a very bad husband and a very bad dad. I get that. (laughs) But man, you want to flip the switch on your stress. Here it is. What's Paul telling us? He's saying this is the path to peace. Look upward instead of inward. Look upward instead of inward. Do you want to know what stress is? Stress is actually just a warning signal from your soul that you are malfunctioning. It's a warning signal that you're looking to the wrong person to deal with your stress. You're looking inward. Paul says look upward. You've been made to look upward. You've been made to see God provide for you. The fourth key truth that you need to know when dealing with stress is this. When you can't control life, you have two options, fear or faith. Those are your two options, fear or faith. Said another way, you can look upward or you can look inward. We know that the disciples had another option because of the question Jesus asked them. What did he say after he calmed the storm? He said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He said, why did you choose fear? You could have chosen faith. Guys, you actually had an option. Why? Because I'm in your boat. Me, the Prince of Peace, the God of the universe, the one who simply has to say the word is in your boat. Maybe God brought you here this morning simply so that you could hear that stress isn't inevitable. It's actually optional. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in the boat of your life. He's in the boat of your life and he cares for you. He cares for you. If you struggle with believing that God cares for you, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Like if there's any question in your mind whether you should choose fear or faith, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. It says this, for in him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came for your peace. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to give you peace. And when Jesus Christ got up on that cross and he declared it is finished, that was his way of saying, shut 
up. Be quiet to a different type of storm, the storm of sin that was threatening to separate us from God for all of eternity. All you have to do is look at the cross and you'll be reminded that God cares about your peace. Why would God lead you into situations that you cannot control? Here's the answer. Because it gives them an opportunity to show up. It gives them an opportunity to show up. I mean, just think about it. Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. What did God do? He showed up and moved him into the second position of command in all of Egypt. Nation of Israel was trapped at a dead end of the Red Sea. What did God do? He showed up. He split the thing in half. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. What did God do? He sustained him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. What did God do? He preserved them. Zachariah and Elizabeth were old and barren. What did God do? He gave them up John the Baptist. God loves to show up. That's what the cross is. It is a declaration that God loves to show up. So let me just ask you this. What if God knows that there's more joy waiting for you in dependence than there is waiting in control? Like what if God cares about your joy more than you care about your joy and he knows that there's more joy waiting for you in dependence on him than in you being in control of your own life? I want to finish by just pointing to Peter real quick. I don't know if you noticed uh, the details of the stories we read, but it's a very detailed account. Like it talks about the other boats that were with Jesus's boat. It talks about the stern and the cushion that Jesus slept in and on. It's a very detailed account because it's an eyewitness account. But here's the thing. Mark wasn't an eyewitness. Commentators believe that Mark got his account from Peter. I think about what the disciples ran to Jesus and said. What did, one of them ran to Jesus and what did he say? He said, do you not care that we are perishing? If you know anything about Peter, that sounds like something he would say. We don't know if Peter said it. We have no way of knowing. What we do know is that that question represented the sentiment of Peter and everyone else on the boat. How meaningful then for Peter to be one of the people who at least thought, do you not care that we are perishing? How meaningful then that years later, Peter would write in his letter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you not care that we are perishing? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because I know he cares for you. I've asked the question before if he cares. And I know that he cares for you. Several years ago, I was dealing with uh, some stress in my life. A lot of anxiety. And so I went to see what's called a biblical counselor. Biblical counselor is simply a professional counselor who will listen to what's going on in your life and then they will open up the word of God and speak scripture into your situation. And so I just shared with him the things that were stressing me out. I shared with him my anxiety. And guess where he took me to in the scriptures? He took me to Mark 4. And so we opened up Mark 4 and we began to read this story about Jesus and his friends going through a storm. And in the midst of that storm, these friends 
feel like they are going to die. And while they believe they are going to die, what does Jesus do? He sleeps like a baby. That's the story that we read. Before our session was over, the counselor didn't just close the book on Mark 4. He asked me to turn over to Acts chapter 12 because he wanted to show me something interesting about Peter that I had never seen before in all of my studies of the scriptures. I had at least never made the connection. He took me to Acts chapter 12. At the beginning of Acts chapter 12, we see Herod put James to death. And James's death pleases the crowd so much that Herod arrests Peter. And we, have, uh, we are left to assume that Herod has every intention of doing to Peter what he had done to James. And so here we find Peter on another night where his life is on the line. His life is about to come to an end. And I want you to see what we find Peter doing as he finds himself on a different night where his life is on the line. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 12. Peter is doing it says this. Now when Peter was about to bring him out on that very night, on the night that Peter is going to die, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. How awesome is that? After Jesus rose from the dead, he had this moment with Peter where he said, You follow me. Peter took him so seriously that when Peter found himself on a different night where his life was on the line, he remembered Jesus on a different night during a different storm when Peter thought he was going to die. What did Jesus do during the storm? He slept. Now Peter finds himself in a different storm where his life is on the line. What does he do? He sleeps. And he slept well. Like an angel shines light into his cell and he still doesn't wake up. The angel has to come up and hit him to wake him. That's how peaceful his life was. So here's the deal. If being able to sleep peacefully on the night that you're going to die is the goal, can't we agree that we all need to take a step? I don't know what's going on in your life right now. If you feel anything like I did in that Chick-fil-A bathroom, then you feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. You have a choice to make. Stress isn't inevitable. It's optional. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the one who just has to say the word, is in the boat of your life. So choose faith, not fear. Look upward instead of inward. Let's pray together. Just with your eyes closed, let me just say this. Some of you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're realizing this morning that Jesus Christ came for your peace. That Jesus Christ came to make peace between you and God. And maybe God has brought you here this morning simply to introduce himself to you. So if God is is speaking into your life this morning, just saying, I want a relationship with you, a real, enjoyable, authentic relationship with you. If that's you, 
then let me just encourage you, when we go to sing in just a minute, would you come and just talk to one of our friends at the front of the stage? We would love to help you take your first step with Jesus Christ. And if you're here in this room this morning and you resonate with those ideas of being stressed out, overwhelmed, or out of control, you've might've, you might have carried that stress in. You don't have to carry it out. You can leave it here at this altar. You can leave it at the feet of Jesus. Your, sh- your shoulders don't have to be strong enough because his are. You don't have to be in control because Jesus Christ already is. So would you just respond to God in this morning? In this moment, would you invite him in? Would you transfer the weight of your circumstances from your shoulders to his? Would you let him be the Prince of Peace in your life? I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to respond in worship. If you need to talk to someone down front, if you want someone to pray for you, we would love to do that. But let's pray and then we'll respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've come for us and you've come to give us peace. Lord, I thank you, God, that there is nothing in our lives right now that surprises you and there's nothing in our lives that stresses you out. And so we thank you, God, that you have everything that we need today. Would you sustain us through this day? Thank you, Jesus, that you might not stop the storm, but you most certainly can sustain us through the storm. And so I pray that there would be a shift in our hearts and our minds, knowing that you, Jesus, are in the boat of our lives. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name.